wine. The best wine in the country. Ready to talk about wine? It's like a rap video, sipping lean beforehand. Yeah. See, I, I've been recording for about 20 seconds. <laughs> you got all, I got all those luscious sounds. Okay. Oh my god, I <laughs> no, no, it, this is going in unedited. It's perfectly live. <laughs> okay, so welcome to another episode of Outliers. I'm Nick Allen and I have with me Bryson. So why don't you tell us why you're here today? But we're going to be talking about some wine and all things wine related. So what makes you the expert on wine, if I may ask? Well, I'm not per se an expert, but I do know quite a bit. My family owns a wine bar in France, and I've been slowly developing my palate and my knowledge of wine for the past couple of years now. How many summers have you spent at the wine bar? So I spent one summer there working for a couple months, and then I usually try and, we try and go about once a year, twice a year. So mm -hmm. I'm there all the time when I'm there, I'm working. Mm. Always slowly, even when I'm not in France, I'm always trying to refine my palate. Even when you're away, are you still like sampling fine wines and all that? Yeah, because we try and get wines from close to the region and other regions of France. It's kind of our go-to, so always trying new things, always seeing what the different flavors are, what the different temperatures and what the different soils do to the wines. I've always wondered about that because you always hear about like specific places that wine is made because I know it's like Italy, France are like the big ones and then there's like Napa in the States. Yeah. How important is location with regarding to like the taste or the flavor? It, it does matter a lot when you're talking about the different locations, especially with France and Italy, you're talking about the different regulations that go into making wine. The U.S. is a bit more lenient than Europe is. They're a bit more controlled because it's, in at least France, it's a cultural thing. It's not so much, oh, we're just making wine. It's been a part of their culture for years. The U.S. has kind of, uh, unfortunately, had a reputation of making a lot of cheap, bad wines. They're kind of just going off popularity and what sells. But there are great wines, especially from Napa, that come out of California, come out of the other states that are good quality wines. They're just few and far between. And the regulations, is, is it like something to do with the grapes that they use or? It's more about the, the process that they use, like what kinds of grapes they can grow in certain regions, especially when you're talking about like Bordeaux or you're talking about Champagne. Those are going to be more heavily regulated than other places in France just because of the name. So in Champagne, to have your wine called Champagne, there's a lot of regulations that go into that so that you can't just make a sparkling wine and call it Champagne. Doesn't that have to be grown in a specific region in France? Yes, so when we're talking about Champagne in specific, there are other wines. Sauternes is a sweet wine that has to be grown in very specific conditions. But for at least Champagne, it has to be grown in certain regions of Champagne. It can only be certain grapes, and you can only make it in certain ratios to have it called a Champagne. If it's not, it's called Prosecco or Sparkling Wine. Either that or it's called a Brute. Mm. Those are generics that can be grown anywhere. And what kind of climate factors go into like making <clears throat> the ideal glass of wine? A lot. Weather is a huge part of what makes good wine. I know this season has been really good for winemaking, but the grapes, there's not a lot this season, so the varietals are going to be very good, but small quantity. 
what you're looking for, especially at least in the south of France where our bar is, you're looking for cool mornings followed by long, hot evenings with a good amount of rain. The idea is that you want to stress the grapes out enough so that the vines focus on producing grapes instead of producing leaves, but you don't want it too wet to where the grapes are all watered down. So you want the correct climate so that you're getting the perfect amount of grape production and grape quality. So there's actually a lot of biology that goes into wine. There's a ton of biology, especially when you're talking about diseases. A lot of the vines in France are actually American vines at the roots. They had a big epidemic with a certain fungus infection that destroyed a lot of their grapes. A lot of the vines were killed off. So they found that American vines are actually immune to this disease. So they graft on French grapes on top of American roots to make the perfect vine that's immune to this disease, but still produces the quality of French grapes. And you can save a lot of the plants that would otherwise just die off from this disease. So how does like American roots with like French grapes work? Like I assumed it was like the root is the foundation of the plant. Yeah. So essentially it's a process called grafting. What they'll do is they'll cut the root. So you'll have about a couple inches of the stem left out of the ground. So they grow them in France. Mm-hmm. They've taken the seeds from America and they've slowly grown them and they'll cut the top off, put it in the ground. And then what they'll do is they'll take the French vines, they'll cut their bottoms off and they'll stick them on top of each other and they'll seal them together. The vines need to survive. So they'll, they'll bond with the roots mm-hmm. and form a vine that is resistant to the fungus, the infection and still producing grapes. I would love to meet the guy who thought of that. Like, let's just duct tape this on top and hope it works. Just duct tape some vines together? (laughs) Ah, it's fine. It'll be good. Yeah, like, oh, wow. This fixes all our problems. How they figured out that American vines were resistant to this, I guess, like, since a lot of French economy is run pipe wine production, Mm -hmm. since you go down the road, you'll find a vineyard. Any town has at least a couple vineyards in them. Mm -hmm. So... Even if it's the towns running their own vineyard, that's pretty common so that just your local people can make wine when they want to. So the town will actually own it or you'll have people just open up vineyards. There's plenty of space for them and it's an amazing process because you go to any different vineyard and the wine's going to be completely different. Now, what's like the process that goes from a grape to, to glass? Yeah, so what you're working with is these vines are decently old. You cannot pick the grapes immediately. So you can't just plant a vine, pick the grape immediately, and make wine. Mm-hmm. It has to go through a few seasons. I think it's about three to four years. The vine itself? The vine itself has to go through three or four years before it's able to be picked for wine. So what you'll do is at the start of the season, the vines will be pruned. So you'll cut the leaves off from last season. And you'll cut anything else off and cut it back. So it has to grow itself out again. During the growth season, you're going to cut leaves when they come up. So you'll cut them off. Not all of them, because you still want it to go through photosynthesis. But you do want to cut it back so that you're stressing those grapes out. You want those vines to be stressed so they focus all their energy on grape production. Because that's where the money is. You want it all in the grapes. <laughs> Not usually the best when, when the vines are really leafy. Because then the grapes are going to be subpar. 
They're going to be really small. They're not going to be great. But you want those big, fat grapes that all the time has been spent on them, but not too much water has been pumped into them. So that, that nice balance. It's, yeah. It sounds like you're balancing a lot of it's different It's so areas. much balance. Farming is very hard, and I have a lot of respect for the people who actually care for these grapes. So once, usually it's around uh, September that the grapes are ready to be picked. Because of climate change, it's been slowly moving back in the season when they're actually picking the grapes because the grapes just aren't ready yet. So you got to pick them at the right time. Mm -hmm. So it's usually mid to late September when they're ready. Then they'll go around either, some of them will go around and pick them by hand, which is a long process. They go out early in the morning. They start trimming until the afternoon. They'll go in because it, at least in the south of France, it gets up to like 108 in the summer. Around like 45 degrees Celsius was the hottest day in France when I was there. And that's like, I believe, 115, something around there. Don't quote me on that. I'm not great at math. Um, but yeah, it's hot in the summer. So you go inside and then you come back out in the late evening, pick as much as you can. Bigger vineyards where that's just straight up not possible, you would need a whole armada of people to pick all those grapes. They'll use machines. There are machines that just cut them right off the branch. It's a bit more sorting, but usually if you're that big, you have automatic sorters to do this. Does it like degrade the grapes at all to use machines? Some people say it does. Some people say it doesn't. It's kind of a preference thing. It's more about like the, your size of your vineyard. Because if you're not a very big vineyard, you don't need to be spending all the money on automatic harvesters. Mm -hmm. That's just not a thing you need. So some people say, oh, it damages the grapes. It bruises the grapes. It's more of a practical thing. So once the grapes are picked, they'll be sorted. So the bad grapes will be thrown out and all the leaves and stems will be taken away. And then it comes down to what wine you want to make. So you'll have your white grapes and your red grapes. So with white grapes, usually what you're going to do is you're going to crush them immediately and then filter out the seeds and stems you want it and the skins. So you just want the juice for white wine. Mm -hmm. For red wines, you're going to crush it and then leave it on the seeds and stems for a while. And that's where you get your tannins from. So that the feeling when your mouth sort of dries out when you're drinking a red wine, that comes from the seeds and stems and staying on the skins. For rosés, you tend to leave them briefly on seeds and in, on their uh, skins. Or you'll use red grapes and just immediately get them out of their skins so that you're just left with the the wine itself. So they, they like peel the skins off the, off the grapes? So they'll crush it and then they'll pump out the liquid okay. from the bottom of these giant vats. So they'll pump it out and pump it into a different tank. And then it becomes composting at that point for what's left in the vat. Mm. Um, and then it comes down to once you have that grape juice... So the process of crushing the grapes was called maceration. But once you're done pumping it out, usually for red wines, what you'll do is you'll cycle it. So you crush it in the vat and then you pump it from the bottom back on the top so that all the liquid in the vat has equal amount of time on all the seeds and stems. So you're really cycling through it so you get a consistent red wine from that vat. The liquid won't naturally be consistent. It's more so you stir it around so you don't have at the top, you don't have stuff that's not as much on seeds and stems and at the bottom it's getting too much time. Mm -hmm. So you stir it around just to make sure it's consistent all around. And then eventually you'll 
take it out from the season stems and put it in its own vent. Okay. Because if you leave it in there too long, it's going to become undrinkable. A lot of the time, when it's too tannic, a lot of people refer to it as being chewy because you kind of like lick your lips when that happens because it's just too tannic. There's not really much flavor there. Mm -hmm. People always say, oh, you have to let a Bordeaux sit for years. At least on the uh, one side of the river in Bordeaux, you have to let it sit or it's going to be way too tannic. You have to let the flavors simmer out over time. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're stored for like years at a time. That's why you store them for years at a time. So once it's done with that process, then the grapes are almost ready. Uh, You then take the grape juice, you add in your yeast to make alcohol, you make it alcoholic to the point you want, and then you can add a lot of things. You can blend your different grapes. So if I crush some Chardonnay grapes and I crush some Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, you can then blend at that point. Usually once they're in their vet, they'll get put into barrels and then they'll sit on them for uh, however much time they deem they should mm-hmm. sit, and then they'll blend them and then bottle them. It's a very impressive process of how they pick out the correct flavors to make a perfect bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. That comes down to very talented sommelier or wine tasters. That's their job is to just taste wine and tell you everything about it. It's a very impressive job, and that's their whole thing. They blend wine and make beautiful bottles of wine that then you can buy at the store. It's just so clear, they're not just like tasting the wine. They have a strong hand and, oh, it needs more of this process. Well, it needs to be in the bat for a while longer. Yeah, so like what they'll do is they'll taste that it each step of the way and say, oh, it's not tannic enough. All right, let's leave it on season stems. Oh, it's not sweet enough. All right, let's add sweetener. Oh, I can tell when this is done, I'm going to blend these two and I'll get a really nice bottle of wine. So it's a lot of additive process. So you're just seeing what each vat needs and what each barrel needs um, to make the perfect bottle of wine. Mm. And it's an amazing process. It's very complicated. It takes years of practice to perfectly understand how to do that. But it's it's a beautiful process. It's amazing. Yeah, because I imagine you have to be really in tune with your taste buds. You really have to. You have to have a very refined palate to be able to pick out oh, this tastes like fruits, or this tastes sweet, this is sourness. You have to really understand. And it's less about knowing, oh, I taste this, oh, that is that. There's no one-size-fits-all, because you and I could taste the same bottle of wine, and you could say, oh, that tastes earthy, and I could say, oh, that tastes like spices to me. We're going to taste different things. Mm -hmm. It's just finding something that you can see a consistency in wine. So... For me, I know something is an earthy taste when I can taste olives in a wine. That saltiness from the olives, I now know I can relate that to being, oh, that's earthy because olives come from the ground. So it's more putting that stuff together for yourself and you'll find that you can find consistencies in your wines and know what flavors you don't like, what flavors you like. It all comes down to preference. Mm -hmm. But with those wine tasters, it's about knowing objectively this is what needs to be changed in the process. Yeah, for their specific grapes and for the bottles that they're looking for, Mm -hmm. they can just taste it and just know, oh, this will go great with this or this needs this. They're like, I could use this with some meat, some nice cheese right now. Yeah. Wine pairings are a very interesting process, knowing which wines will pair well with which foods. Mm -hmm. Usually if you're going to have like a steak, you'll want a red because it's heartier. 
if you're having a steak with a white, it might wash out the white and you won't really taste much of the flavor. Mm -hmm. Whites are usually good with chicken and fish because they're lighter flavors and they're not as heavy. Reds are very good for heavy foods. So like a big steak is like something hearty while whites are going to be more delicate, fish, chicken, salads, things like that. You're making me hungry, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. We just had dinner too. Does your family have the vineyard as well? Or? No, so we don't own a vineyard. We just own a bar that sells wine. So we sell only local wines, which we're very proud of. We have a lot of very talented local winemakers around us. So we buy from the Languedoc region of France, which is down by the southern coast. I think some of the wines there, my absolute favorite of all time. They're usually very hot summers, so... The grapes are very stressed and they're made to be drank immediately. So once the wine's ready and bottled, open it up and start drinking. It's How not like a Bordeaux where you need to let it sit. It's made to be drank immediately. How would you like describe its flavor? So it'll depend. Each vineyard's going to be different in their tastes. So it'll contrast a lot of the other regions of France. They each have their own distinct notes. Bordeaux is going to be a lot older. You're going to get a lot of, they're called tertiary flavors. So you're getting more of the complicated flavors that come out over time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of your less of the spice notes, more of like subtle coffee notes, subtle chocolatey notes. Those will come out over time with age. While with younger wines, you'll get spice notes, you'll get acid notes, you'll get fruity notes because those are primary flavors that'll come out immediately once they're ready. But you can let wines from the Languedoc sit around and you'll get some of the tertiary notes, but the culture in that wine region just isn't really for sitting around since it's a beach town. It's kind of, mm -hmm. we want to drink it now. I don't want to <laughs> let it sit. What do you mean I have to wait years to get I'm not, drunk? not waiting six years to drink my bottle of wine I bought yesterday. I want to drink it now. So just a different culture thing with all the different wine regions in France. They have their own special cultures, different thoughts about wine, and it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And it's probably like you have to be there in person to kind of understand it. That's, that's kind of part of it. I think going to France and experiencing the culture is very worthwhile really experiencing their views around wine mm -hmm. and trying different wines like if you think oh i only like super sweet wines or i don't really like merlots from america because they're a bit too bold and aggressive try a merlot in france or if you don't like merlot don't get merlot i mean you might find that you don't like certain flavors but they might be brought out in a different way. So not so much not liking the grape, but not liking how it was prepared. There's that aspect to it, because not every winemaker is gonna make like a pure Merlot the exact same. There'll mm -hmm. be subtle differences. And I personally love Merlot. Not really from America, because they do have a tendency to be a bit too aggressive or Chardonnays might be a bit too apple-y mm -hmm. from Which American. they wouldn't be Chardonnay if they weren't going in France, right? So, Chardonnay's a grape. Oh, wait. <laughs> Char uh, I mixed it up. Champagne, yes. Champagne can only <laughs> be made in France. It can only be made from the Champagne region of France. There's actually a lawsuit between France and California over California calling 
Prosecco champagne and marketing it as champagne. So there's a big lawsuit about that because France was really upset. They were losing out on profits and champagne was getting a bad reputation because of cheap wine being made in California. Mm. This has happened a few times with like cheeses, for example, and mustard. Dijon is a place in France where Dijon mustard is made. You know, some mm. some things you don't know, but yeah, like brie cheese is supposed to only be made in brie, France. It's just mm-hmm. the French are very protective over their culture. Yeah. So they actually have a whole sector of their government dedicated to doing this stuff. So they're very protected over it. And it's their entire culture. It's also most of their economy. So they're very protective over their wine and their foods. You got to keep it like high valued. Yeah. And, you know... California will do what California wants to. It's America usually has a lack of regard for other cultures. So what would you say, like, because most of the people listening here would probably be American. I'm assuming at this point in recording, we don't have like statistics or anything yet. What would you say to a listener who wants to get into wine? So you don't have to immediately go out and buy the most expensive bottle from France and start drinking only French wine. You don't have to do that. I mean, you can start really just finding wines you enjoy because that's all that really matters at the end of the day. You don't have to drink French wine. You don't have to drink Italian wine. You can drink American wine and enjoy it. It's your preference. Mm -hmm. I don't care what wine you drink. I just know I prefer French wines. I like their flavors. I like their consistency. In America, they're a bit expensive to come by. In America, French wine will usually be around $30. When in France, you can get a bottle for 13 euros, which is about $13 in America. But trying different wines, it's all part of it. You'll slowly figure out which grapes you prefer, which brands you like better. And looking up the vineyards that you enjoy, like bottles you enjoy, look up the vineyard. See what kind of soil they're grown in. See what else they make. That's part of it. Just trying new things and being open-minded so if you don't think you like one grape maybe there's just a different bottle that you'll like with that grape in it or maybe you just don't like that grape and that's perfectly fine it's all a preference thing it's not about oh this is a high quality wine it's about just me knowing my preferences like yes this this wine costs like 20 bucks at the store but i know this is a grape that i like or i am familiar with this vineyard and i think this is a wine i might like yeah You don't have to buy the most expensive bottle. Just find a wine you like and, you know, you don't have to stick with it for life. If you get tired of it, try a new wine or just keep trying new wines. I always love trying new wines. There are a few wines that I absolutely love and unfortunately I can't get them in America because they're small vineyards and they don't import out of France, Mm -hmm. so... Fortunately, I can't get them, but trying new wines, you'll find different flavor profiles you'll like, and that's all it's about. I feel you. I remember one of my favorite drinks was a cherry liquor that I tried in Portugal. It was like a locally made place. Most amazing. I think I shared it with you. You did share it with me. Yeah, like that was one of the best like liquors I've ever had. Yeah. yeah, It's not wine, but it's still, it was locally grown and it was just so well done. Like, I want to go to France now just, just for some wine. France is beautiful. I can say, especially like if you don't like big cities, go to the south of France. It's so nice and it's not super touristy. Mm. The seafood there is amazing and the wine is beautiful. 
I can imagine. I went to Paris like a year and a half ago, and like that was that was amazing in its own right because you know it's you know it's someplace new. Also, just seeing the Eiffel Tower, I always yeah. want to do that. Paris, I enjoyed Paris, but honestly, the south of France is where my heart is. Mm -hmm. The weather's great, the food's great, and the wine is just. I've spent a bunch of time there, so I love the wine there. Yeah, it's it's like a second home, and yeah. you under and it's the it's some place you can get that wine you can't get it anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the questions I have for you. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, I don't think so. But anyone listening is ever planning a trip to France in the town of Ginestas, France. There's a little bar called L'Uncle Jules and translated it's Uncle Julio. You can find it on Google. Just look up L'Uncle Jules. It's a great bar, great prices, great tapas food. We do sell tapas, so it's a great time. I work there. I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about it. It's great. <laughs> and the nearby towns of Narbonne and Guisson are beautiful places to vacation, so give the South of France a try. It's amazing. Next time I'm planning a vacation after we can listen to this episode, just be yeah. like, oh, that's where I gotta go. That's where it is. Well, this has been another episode of Liars. Thank you for your time, Bison. Yeah, it was a pleasure being here. And we'll see you all in the next episode. Bye.